This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Guilty plea in the killing of Ma Loretto. He confessed to his family shortly after and then confessed to the police the next day. The tragic details revealed in court and the prison time the accused is facing. Also tonight, a deadly shooting in Abbotsford. You don't realize how scary it is until it hits close to home. What we're learning about the victim and the moments leading up to his death. And the painful wait for surgery. Our wait lists have grown, patients are suffering, and we're not able to get to them the same way we used to. Why some doctors say the pandemic backlog is only getting worse. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A 41-year-old Abbotsford man is dead, shot by intruders in a home near Stony Creek Park, while the rest of his family was also inside the house. Neighbors say they heard the shots, followed by tires squealing. And tonight, we're learning more from a witness about how it all unfolded. Emadagahi has more. We spoke today with a man who identified himself as the father of the victim. He said there were four people inside that home when the shooting happened and it was an intruder in the house that pulled the trigger. We can also now identify the victim as 41-year-old Chad Colovis. Neighbors telling us they're truly saddened to hear the news of his death. It was last night around 10 o'clock when Abbotsford police responded to a 911 call of a shooting at the home at the corner of Latimer Street and Ivy Crescent near Stony Creek Park. Police then found the man suffering from gunshot wounds. He was worked on by first responders but could not be saved. As mentioned before, Global News has learned the suspect was an intruder in the home. We also now know that the surviving three family members are staying at a nearby hotel while police investigate. They're awesome people. Harry's a good guy, the, the dad. He's a, he's a great guy. He comes around, he told me he's, he's very friendly and whatnot. It is obviously of great concern to us when um, there is a shooting or some kind of a homicide uh, in a community, especially um, in this location. Uh, we're doing our very best to get those answers for our community members. And as it is very early today, it's been within less than 24 hours that we will try to continue to collect information. And as it is made available to us, we will let the public know. IHIT is now in charge of this investigation, and a spokesperson tells us there is no indication that this homicide is linked to the Lower Mainland gang conflict, while neighbors say that there is a plenty of security video and first-hand accounts of what happened available to investigators who have yet to announce an arrest. Emadagahi, Global News. A 22-year-old man has been sentenced in the death of a woman whose burned body was found in a Metro Vancouver park in March of last year. Rumina Dea has the details and a warning. Some of them are disturbing. Gasps of shock from the victim's family as the details of the killing of 49-year-old Ma Cecilia Loretto are revealed. Carlo Tobias, now 22, pleading guilty to manslaughter and accessory after the fact. A charge of first-degree murder, state. He did not believe 
that uh, the youth would kill the victim and that his role was punching the victim to unconsciousness, uh, not killing her. According to the agreed statement of facts, in a house in New Westminster in March of last year, Tobias hides behind a door. When Loretto enters, he punches her in the face. She's still alive and breathing. Moments later, another person stabs Loretto, the body wrapped in blankets and taped up to look like a rug. Final destination, Green Tree Village Park in Burnaby, where Loretto's body is unloaded, doused in gas and lit on fire, resulting in burns to 92% of Loretto's body. A youth was charged with first-degree murder. She cannot be identified under the Youth Criminal Justice Act. She remains in custody. Her next court appearance is March 30th. As a result, we cannot discuss motive or specific details. All we can say is the three knew each other. Tobias didn't kill Loretto. He punched her, said defense counsel Matthew Nathanson, adding his client is remorseful. He turned himself in, entered a guilty plea, and it's his first offense. The judge sentences Tobias to 10 years on both counts. With credit for time served, 8.5 years remains. It's what defense and Crown ask for. The evidence was not there to support uh, finding that or to be able to prove that Mr. Tobias intended to kill uh, Malaredo. The crushing loss of such a vibrant, hardworking and caring mother has destroyed generations, Loretto's family told the court. The shock and sadness forever overwhelming. Romina Dea, Global News. Turning now to COVID-19 in BC, let's take a look at the latest numbers for our province. We have 254 people in hospital. 48 of those patients are in critical care or the ICU. There have been no deaths recorded in the last 24 hours and we have 259 new confirmed cases in BC. Keith Baldry is here now with more. Uh, to talk about concern, Keith, around the BA2 variant, mm -hmm. we know it's more contagious, but how much has it spread or do we know of its spread in the recent weeks? You're, we're matching what we're seeing in other jurisdictions. It's now one-third of the cases in the United States and it's going to be replacing Omicron uh, BA1 uh, relatively quickly as it displaces the virus we've come to deal with for so long. And BC, I have to tell you, just take a look at the phenomenal growth of BA2 cases just in the last few weeks. Starting out at 55 in January, as at the end of February, 580 cases in one week. And that number's grown since then. There is one group of population that's particularly vulnerable to this subvariant, and that's people over the age of 70. The good news is we have high vaccination rates. 92% have had two doses. 81% have had booster doses. That's fairly low. But at the end of the day, because we have so many people in that age cohort, it still means about 40,000 people have yet to get a single dose of vaccine. Why that's problematic? What we're seeing right now in South Korea, Hong Kong, China, parts of Europe are people over the age of 70 contracting BA2 and a number of them people, those people being hospitalized, being sent to ICUs, and sadly, in many cases, dying. So if you're not vaccinated and you're over the age of 70, go get that dose and certainly get your booster dose because studies show the booster doses are saving people in countries right now where BA2 is on the rise in significant mm -hmm. numbers. Yeah, let's hope we don't see the, uh, those numbers rise again. Thanks, mm -hmm. Keith. Well, the province's orthopedic surgeons say their patients are suffering because of a backlog of COVID-delayed procedures. While other surgical departments across BC might be getting back to normal, doctors say those who are waiting for knee and hip replacements are facing long waits. Ted Chernecki reports. 
When BC's health minister three weeks ago said BC was clearing COVID-delayed surgeries. Because 99.8% of patients whose surgeries were postponed in the first wave have had their surgeries. Because 94.2% of patients whose surgery was postponed in ways two and three have had their surgeries. Hearing that, some patients in waiting might have fallen off their orthopedic chairs. So the BC Orthopedic Association wrote to the health minister saying, For orthopedic surgeons, the shock and response to the announcement of nearly 100% of postponed surgeries completed has been staggering. 78-year-old Bitta Baxter needs both knees replaced. She was given surgical priority with a goal of having her right knee replaced within a month. That was more than a year ago. A year is a long time to wait in pain. She now has a surgical date of April 1st. If in fact that happens, she'll then start the wait for her left knee. This is their life. They wake up in pain. They spend their day in pain. They eat lunch in pain. They get mad at their spouse because they're in pain. They lose their job because of pain. That's not elective for them. With one relatively simple procedure, so much of this cascade of other uh, uh, maintenance and and care and treatments and costs are all, they all could have been avoided. The health minister responded late this afternoon. We don't do uh, non-medically necessary service in the public health care system. So they're all important. And that's why we've dramatically increased orthopedic surgery in the last um, in the last number of years. Surgery backlogs might be getting better in the rest of the province, but not in the orthopedic world. And doctors want a face-to-face meeting with the ministry to explain what it's really like. It's so heartbreaking. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have struck a deal with the federal NDP to stay in power until 2025. The supply and confidence agreement means the NDP will support the Liberals in the House of Commons in return for support on a few NDP issues. And as Richard Zussman reports, B.C. is no stranger to this type of deal. They have long been political foes, now a partnership. During this uncertain time, the government can function with predictability and stability. Tommy Douglas uses power to bring in Medicare. Jack Layton uses power in a minority government to bring in affordable housing. The deal means the federal NDP will vote with the federal Liberals on all crucial bills and keep them in power until 2025. In exchange, the Liberals will bring in a national dental care program, starting in 2022 with funding for those under 12. The parties will pass the Canada Pharmacare Act by the end of 2023, extend the Rapid Housing Initiative, and create a plan to phase out public money for the fossil fuel sector. The agreement getting the thumbs up from Andrew Weaver, the former Green Party leader who signed a confidence and supply agreement here back in 2017. If you focus on serving your party, you're doing a disservice to the people who elected you. Because once you are elected, you don't govern for your party, you govern for all. But another lesson? Not everything in the deal gets done. The Greens and the NDP here agreed to a proportional representation referendum but electoral reform was rejected by voters. The Sightsee Dam was reviewed by the BC Utilities Commission, but to the Greens' dismay, pushed ahead by the NDP. And the two parties employed, quote, every tool available to stop the Kinder Morgan expansion, only to see Ottawa buy it and forge ahead.
And that generally means that uh, the senior partner in the agreement, uh, that is to say the government of the day, acts more like a majority government now uh, than it would have, you know, two days ago. The other thing about confidence in supply agreements is they can be torn up anytime. It's the kind of agreement that can still be broken by either party based on, uh, you know, what they can justify to voters after the fact. Premier John Horgan was notified on this deal, but only on Monday. His deal ultimately lasted more than three years. The test will be whether the federal deal can last that long. Richard Lissman, Global News, Victoria. Well, the popularity of pickleball exploded during the pandemic, but not everyone is happy to hear that. We know there is a noise associated with pickleball. How neighbors are raising a ruckus about the racket and leaving players in, well, a pickle. That's next on the News Hour. A reckless driver caught on camera where it happened and an appeal from police. Also tonight, ads so bad they were good. A B.C. community says goodbye to Big Bob after 50 years in business. Right now, though, pickleball is wildly popular and noisy, according to some residents in Victoria. And the sound of the plastic ball on the racket is creating too much of a racket for some. Players of the sport, which is a cross between tennis, badminton and table tennis, have now been banned from playing in Todd Park. As Kylie Stanton reports, they say they're unfairly caught up in new rules and regulations. Clearing the surface, warming up the paddle. These players are ready to battle it out. Nice serve. On and off the court. The whole pickleball community was taken kind of by surprise. As of April 1st, pickleball players will no longer be able to use the tennis courts here at Todd Park. In a letter to users, the city said pickleball lines will be removed to address noise concerns from nearby residents, while we find new ways to support the rapid growth of pickleball in Victoria. Do your best. Throwing everyone here off their game. No consultation, no discussion, and we didn't know there were complaints. The sound is difficult to describe. A little bit of a whack, a little bit of a pop. But it's pretty easy to measure, hovering around the 60 decibel mark right on the sidelines, falling well within the city's noise bylaw. To completely outlaw it seems a bit uh, heavy-handed. But according to the city, it also violates new rules about how close the courts can be to neighboring homes, now requiring a distance of at least 50 meters. This one is only about 17. <laughs> many in the area have A lot of areas in the region have lots of big parks and areas that are not right next to people's homes. So hopefully if people do think it's a regional thing, they can go speak to the rest of the region. It's not just an issue here. Nearly every jurisdiction with a pickleball court has had to deal with the concerns around the noisy sport. As for the city of Victoria, it's offered up alternative locations for the players, while it works on creating a future pickleball hub as part of its Topaz Park development. But completion there is at least two years away. In the meantime, at least one councillor is up for revisiting the decision. I'll bring the pickleball players, the neighborhood and the city together. We'll find some compromise. <laughs> Until then, it's game on. Players plan to make the most of the time they still have before they're shut out. There are solutions. We need more play space. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.
A huge donation today aimed at protecting more of B.C.'s pristine wilderness. The Age of Union Alliance has pledged $14.5 million to protect threatened ecosystems. Part of the gift to the B.C. Parks Foundation will go directly to preserving two key areas. The Pitt River watershed and the French Creek estuary, habitats for salmon, elk, eagles and other wildlife. The gift is billed as the largest single cash donation to the Parks Foundation and one of the largest in the province's conservation history. Age of Union is, is all about trying to, trying to do conservation work around the world. Uh, we think it's a critical decade and, uh, and this is going to really help us move the needle on BC conservation with some, with some local, uh, very, very precious ecosystems. There's a resident population of eagles there, but there's also the migrating eagles that come down from Alaska and from northern Canada. And this area has this kind of natural process of of tides and, and weather that digs up all these clams. So uh, there's a big convention of eagles that happens every year and they all gather there, they feed, they regenerate, and then they continue on their migration corridor. The Age of Union Alliance says it will be announcing in the coming weeks which other ecosystems will benefit from the donation. Just ahead, a trucker standoff with a twist. Yes, the blockade aimed at putting pressure on Western leaders to take stronger action against Russia. And later... It's, it's scary. It really is scary to know that, you know, everything could be wiped away, including yourself. Residents on edge, the slide risk they're living with, and how an alert system is on the way. We are on scene to a crash at the Portman Bridge, eastbound at Midspan in the right through lane. Traffic is lined up through Coquitlam from before Brunette. Sussex Insurance are currently hiring full or part-time enthusiastic and motivated insurance agents at many of their over 50 BC locations. Apply or learn more at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trisha Wilson in the Global Traffic Center. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. The United Nations Secretary General is urging an end to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, saying its people are enduring a living hell. This comes as Russian forces continue their siege of Mariupol and the Ukrainian military refuses to back down. Kim Smith has the latest. Municipal workers in Kharkiv walk through a charred apartment building Tuesday. A blast that killed a man who had survived so much, Boris Romanchenko, a 96-year-old Holocaust survivor. There was terrible shelling, this neighbor says. It was not a bam, more of a whistle. Three terrible whistles. To the south in Mariupol, one of the hardest-hit cities, new video released Tuesday shows explosions at industrial buildings and factories. And in Kherson, for the second day in a row, a crowd of people is chased away while protesting the Russian invasion. A loud bang could be heard, followed by tear gas. The UN Secretary General calling Russia's invasion an absurd war. Continuing the war in Ukraine is morally unacceptable, politically indefensible, and militarily nonsensical. 
another standing ovation for Ukraine's president, this time from Italian lawmakers. Volodymyr Zelensky again pleading for more help, saying we are on the brink of survival. In question period Tuesday, Canada's national defense minister saying help is ongoing. We will continue to provide millions and millions worth of aid to Ukraine. In advance of NATO leaders meeting this week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke with Zelensky Tuesday. He's said to have thanked Trudeau for Canada's assistance. Kim Smith, Global News. A group of protesters in Poland is calling on EU leaders to go further than sanctions on Russia, demanding a complete trade blockade. Hundreds of protesters have been stopping trucks at the Poland-Belarus border. They say Russia is getting around sanctions by moving goods through that country. Global's Mike Armstrong explains. This protest has been on again, off again for two weeks, but when it's on, it's big. At times in recent days, the line of trucks is stretched from the border back 20 kilometers. The wait to get through more than 30 hours. This organizer is a Ukrainian refugee. She says the goal is to isolate Russia and bring Ukraine closer to victory. The fear is Russia may be evading some of the pain from sanctions by still getting deliveries from Western Europe. Goods and food could be moved to Russia through Belarus, a country that's been an ally in its invasion of Ukraine. This activist says he has friends in Belarus, they've suffered under their leader as well, and he says they support the blockade. Some trucks have been allowed through if the cargo is hazardous or livestock, but just about everything else is being slowed down, including empty trucks that may be heading back after making deliveries from Belarus or Russia. There have been face-offs with frustrated truckers at times. This trucker says he feels sorry for the protesters, that they're wasting their time and won't change anything. They are getting some support from Polish politicians. The Prime Minister over the weekend said he'll be proposing to the European Union that it add to the current sanctions a full trade blockade of Russia, both by land and sea. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Zeshov, Poland. A campaign to raise money for Ukraine through the Canadian Red Cross at BC Liquor and Cannabis stores has raised more than half a million dollars. Customers at stores across the province have been asked to add a donation to their total bill since late last month. As of March 17th, the combined total was $538,074. In addition to those funds, the provincial government announced last month that it would provide $1 million to the Red Cross to support the people of Ukraine. Coming up, driven to help. Whatever it was that compelled me to get out of the bus and, you know, just to talk to this person. How a Toronto bus driver followed her instinct to help save a man in distress. And on the other side of the coin, the search for a dangerous driver in Abbotsford. That's next on the News Hour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
Good evening. Crews are still on scene to a multi-vehicle accident at the Portman Bridge. It's eastbound at around mid-span in the right-through lane. Lots of emergency crews on scene and plenty of delays. Traffic is lined up through Coquitlam from before Brunette. A new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital. When you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Abbotsford police are asking for the public's help in identifying a driver wanted in a dangerous driving incident. It happened just before 7.30 on Saturday night. Watch as the driver of the luxury car comes flying around the corner on a Sunnyside Crescent and then skids onto the front lawn. The driver then backs up onto the road and continues down the street. There are no reports of any injuries. Anyone with information is asked to call police. Well, workers are back on the job after CP Rail and the union agreed to binding arbitration, ending a two-day work stoppage. As of noon today, CP's 3,000 conductors, engineers, train and yard workers were back at work. The Teamsters Canada Rail Conference says wages and pensions are still stumbling blocks and it could take weeks before matters are settled, but its negotiators were able to reach terms and conditions in the best interest of its members. CP says it's aiming to resume normal train operations as soon as possible. Well, British Columbians are once again big lottery winners, this time a Burnaby couple who's $6 million richer. $6 million. Lana and Joe Leung were the big winners of the Lotto 649 last Wednesday. The lottery is a long-standing tradition for their family. They've been buying tickets for the past 36 years with the same numbers, the birthdays of their family members. Joe bought the ticket from Lucky Market in Vancouver, and the couple now say, well, they got lucky that day. And we just happy, you know, in tears, hugging each other, and then call my daughter way away. And then see what's the next our next plan, what we can do. It's just unbelievable. The couple say they plan to pay off their mortgage, invest some of the money, and share some with family after that. They say they will continue to work but hope to retire early. The province says it is adding 100 new complex care housing spaces in Greater Victoria. These spaces, as the minister said, are desperately needed to take care of those who are most vulnerable, who have been living on our streets year over year with complex needs without the health care that they need. And today's announcement begins to change that. Complex care housing is meant for people who need services like mental health support or overdose prevention. They can access those services on site. The new spaces are coming from a budget promise, which pledges as many as 500 spots across the province over the next three years. It comes with a price tag of $164 million. Well, bus drivers are constantly aware of their surroundings, which includes other vehicles, but also people. Earlier this month, a bus driver in Toronto was quick to spot a person in distress. Global's Karen Lieberman spoke to the hero driver about what happened next. A warning, some of the details in this story may be upsetting to some. Scanned ahead and I noticed an individual in distress. As I got closer, the individual actually attempted to get a little bit closer to my bus in the roadway, so I actually had to stop and secured my bus. Just shy of six months on the job, this Toronto bus driver's quick thinking and compassion likely saved a life. Something just wholeheartedly just didn't feel right, and something 
whatever it was that compelled me to get out of the bus and, you know, just to talk to this person, just to see what was going on. Brianna Bork says a combination of defensive driving training, past experience and instinct prepared her for her shift back on Sunday, March 6th. I just, I felt something wasn't right and something was wrong and I needed to help this person. And unfortunately, about six or seven years ago, I had a, a dear friend who was almost like a brother to me who um, attempted the same thing, if you will, and unfortunately was unsuccessful for somebody to help him. Her bus, with more than a dozen customers inside, now safely parked at the side of the bridge, Bork slowly walked and calmly talked with the man who was reportedly in distress. Just to be able to say, like, let's get you help. I would love to get you some help. And that's exactly what I said to them. I wanted him to know that I was there for him no matter the situation. The Toronto Transit Commission is calling Bork's actions heroic, saying it's the kind of customer service excellence TTC operators exhibit daily. You never know what somebody's going through, and it doesn't hurt to say, like, how are you? You know, can I help you? Is there something that I can do for you? It doesn't hurt to say that. Bork says she and three of her customers held the man until first responders arrived to care for him. Karen Lieberman, Global News. Coming up, putting the brakes on BC Super Week. Why the popular bike race series has been cancelled for a third year. Plus, the landslide warning system coming to a vulnerable B.C. community and why some residents say it's not enough. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. After a wildfire last summer increased the landslide risk in the two-mile area of Sycamuse, the province has agreed to fund an early warning system to alert residents. But with property and lives potentially in the debris path, as Global's Megan Turcotta reports, some residents are calling for more to be done. As the spring melt starts, some residents of the Sycamuse Creek Mobile Home Park are on edge. The area is considered to be at high risk for a landslide because a wildfire last summer burnt upslope from the neighborhood. Now an early warning system is going in. The regional district announced Tuesday it received provincial funding for a $30,000 software system that will use weather data to alert local officials if evacuation orders or alerts are needed. I'm quite pleased to, to hear that we have at least a way of saying, okay, this is what we're seeing, this is what we need to do. The risk is considered to be greatest this year and next particularly during freshet. So with limited time and limited budgets, the regional district has no plans to build any of the infrastructure options proposed to mitigate the risk posed by a slide. One of them was uh, over $3 million to put in a uh, water control berm up above the community. Another one was a, uh, a debris catchment in the lower part, just above the trailer court area. But again, um, purchasing land to be able to enable that and also the effectiveness of it was a big concern. I think we as valued uh, citizens should have some of this for us because we pay taxes, we, we, you know, we've been here for years and we could use a little more security on the mountain. But the fire chief points out after such a devastating fire season, this is far from the only area of BC at risk of a debris flow. 
in a perfect world with unlimited money, for sure, uh, you know, we'd love to be able to put in the berm and the catchment basin uh, as based on the recommendations. But uh, who's going to pay for that? Megan Turcato, Global News, Sycamus. All right, time to bring in Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. Yesterday, I called it dismal. I was going to say miserable, but it looks like there's some clearing way off in the distance there, Christy. Yes, so it's certainly dried out and uh, brightened up as we headed throughout the day, Sophie, but really don't get your hopes up. We've got a major front that's set to push through. First, I want to show you, though, the temperatures. We were hoping for teens and through the interior. We did see 15 and through areas like Lillooet, but overall areas like Kelowna, Kamloops, only only at 11 degrees because of the cloud cover. And in Metro Vancouver, 13, which is uh, sort of close to what we saw in early March as well, but certainly one of the warmest temperatures that we've seen so far this winter uh, or this season. Uh, yeah, no, it's spring right now. Um, atmospheric River, though, has been targeting the north coast. There's still rainfall warnings there, 50 to 100 millimeters in that region, whereas the mild flow is further south of that. But that's the front that's going to shift through our region. And the reason why I said don't uh, get too excited about this clearing that you're seeing right now. So tomorrow morning, you can expect heavy rain across the south coast. It is also going to be windy as that front moves through. The windiest conditions in through the Strait of Georgia, near the water for Metro Vancouver. But it shifts towards the east fairly quickly. So uh, Vancouver Island, you can expect breaks of blue sky through the afternoon hours, whereas Metro Vancouver western sections may not see it until around dinner time. And then through the Fraser Valley, it will linger a little bit longer. But then that takes us into our Thursday, which has been the bright day, the bright spot in all of this uh, forecast over the last little while. And it still looks to be holding. Quick look at how much rainfall we're going to see as that front pushes through. So we're talking about 10 to uh, 20 millimeters for Metro Vancouver. So once again, that front shifting from the northwest towards the southeast across the province through the morning hours tomorrow. It continues to clear out through the afternoon and through those eastern sections. Breaks of blue sky that we're expecting across the south coast are towards the end of the day. Uh, Thursday is a really nice day. Friday starts off dry, but we are expecting mainly cloudy skies. So it really is only one bright sunny day for all the um, spring breakers out there. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to us from West Vancouver. This is looking out over the Strait of Georgia just a couple of hours ago. Uh, thank you to Peter. He always tweets these great videos out, so I thought I would share one with you tonight. So back to you. He's got a good view out there. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, for the third year in a row, BC's premier cycling event has fallen victim to the pandemic. Super Week, a series of nine races over 10 days, has been cancelled again. As Krista Dow reports, organizers say there's still too much uncertainty to get the event up and running for July. From Port Coquitlam to White Rock to Gastown. Hundreds of elite cyclists from around the world gathered in Metro Vancouver for an annual 10-day competition. It is known as Super Week. It was definitely one of the events I was most looking forward to returning to this year after the two years off. And for the third year in a row, the races have been cancelled. Organizers say there is still too much uncertainty around international travel and sponsorship. They had no choice but to pump the brakes yet again. BC Super Week has become world-renowned as the biggest pro cycling series in Canada. To, to focus just on a year from now is, is a much better energy spent. 
Recruiting 200 plus volunteers takes a significant amount of time in order to train them and fill spots. And then the bell will ring, it'll be one to go. Port Coquitlam draws more than 10,000 spectators to its streets for its Grand Prix. The Gastown Grand Prix, at least 20,000. For female riders like Holly Simonson and Fiona Magendi, it's much more than a race. I think it's a really key time right now for equality in cycling and we also need those stepping stones right so we need those races that we can get to not on a huge huge budget but race against the best there's so many spectators that just elevates the race in and of itself it makes it feel bigger and it's not just the racers feeding off the energy but local businesses too where staff say they'll definitely feel the void this year it's a big blow it's the few big weekends that we have in this in the in the Port Coquillum area in the summer, I think it brings in a lot of business. All of the businesses in this area certainly benefit not only from the exposure, but the um, increased opportunities to service all of those customers. The Giro di Burnaby will go ahead with its local race. As for Super Week 2023, organizers say the wheels are already in motion. Krista Dow, Global News. Be nice to see it come back. It's a fun event. Yes, it would nice to see. It would be nice to see that come back and COVID to just go away. Completely. Yes. Well, next year we keep saying that, but let's hope that we really. I know. Mean it this time. <laughs> All right. What do you have coming? Okay. Up? So the name Travis. When you think about it, the name Travis has figured a lot in what's happened with the Canucks this season. And the latest Travis is defenseman Travis Dermott, who was traded here from Toronto. Um, it's an exciting situation to be in, so I was pretty excited to come meet the boys and kind of just get the first steps out of the way. He will play alongside Brad Hunt when the Canucks start a four-game road trip in Colorado tomorrow. Also ahead tonight, goodbye to Big Bob, the star of some very memorable TV ads. Calls it a career. All right, Squire is here now. The Canucks pack their bags. Yep, they're on their way to Denver, probably already there. And they will start a four-game road trip tomorrow in Denver, Colorado. And the Canucks are four points out of a playoff spot right now. I know we all thought they would be closer after that seven-game homestand, but things didn't go so well. They lost ground chasing a wild-card spot. But now that the trade deadline has passed... Bruce Boudreaux thinks his guys will be more relaxed and they'll play better because some didn't know if they would still be Vancouver Canucks after yesterday's trade deadline. And that might have messed with their heads a bit. Well, I think the level of optimism for the players is they were really happy that this is over because I think there was an awful lot of them on pins and needles and pin cushions and everything else. And they were saying... So basically today that it's done, okay, now we can start focusing on the games. Um, I mean, I, I have to believe when you're here for three and a half months and then last week seemed an, an aberration of the first three and a half months that there was something bothering the group as a whole and uh, hopefully we can get over that and, and go at it today because this is the team we've got. I don't want you to freak out but the Canucks will give Yaroslav Halak another start. He's better than what he's been lately, traditionally better. 
Thatcher Demko will be the goalie tomorrow against Colorado, but Thursday in Minnesota it will be Yaroslav Halak because Demko will not have enough rest to do two games in two nights. We get in too late. I think we're not getting in till 2.30 in mini or something. It's just it's quite late, so I don't think we could. it's you know feasible to go with one goalie for both those games. And the newest Canucks are with the team, although Brad Richardson has played for Vancouver before. He'll take Travis, make that Tyler Mott spot on the fourth line with Lamico and Highmore. Travis Dermott, acquired from the Leafs on Sunday, wearing 24, will fill out a spot in the bottom pairing on the blue line this morning at practice. He was out there with Brad Hunt. He's a guy that talks a lot, um, so that'll make me feel very comfortable. And, uh, you know, it's just nice to have a guy that... Um, you know, isn't shy in his boots and is, is kind of one of those guys where he's, he's comfortable enough to take me aside and make sure that I'm comfortable. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, that's the type of teammate you want and especially deep pair that you want. After this game, the Canucks will have two in hand on Vegas. They lost last night in Minnesota, got shut out. Tonight they're in Winnipeg, and this is a power play goal by Pierre-Luc Dubois. And as you can see, Vegas hasn't scored in this game yet either. They're down after two to the Jets. Dallas and Edmonton. Dallas is ahead of the Canucks. Well, yes, they're ahead of the Canucks. Winnipeg is tied with Vancouver in the standings. But this goal is a tip-in by Kyler Yamamoto. That was in the first period. Dallas is tied at 1-1 in the second. Well, the final segment of games for World Cup qualifying start Thursday with Canada in Costa Rica. Lucas Cavallini and Christian Gutierrez of the Whitecaps will be on the Canadian roster. Alfonso Davies is still not healthy enough to play for Canada. Now, the Canadians have not lost a game in qualifying. We are two points away from booking a spot in the World Cup for the first time in the Men's World Cup, I should say, since 1986. But Canada is not prepared to plan any parties just yet. So, there'll be more growth in these next three games. I think uh, this is probably the toughest schedule uh, in terms of heading into Costa Rica and a, and a must-win match for them at altitude and heat back to Canada uh, against a team like Jamaica with their quality that can play free without the burden of qualifying and then we're off to Panama who will be in another must-win game so that's what you get out of bed for it's it's what we've hoped for that we play these type of matches and can just keep writing their new chapters in this story. Up in Prince George today, Canada-Japan, Women's World Curling Championships, and the Canadians had a big eighth end and a big game. 10-4 over Japan tomorrow morning, Canada plays Sweden, Canada's 4-2 now. Well, no one knows yet if new Seahawks quarterback Drew Locke will end up being the number one guy in Seattle this coming season, but we do know for sure he will not be wearing number three. That's the number he had in Denver. It's the number he had in college at Missouri. Locke is going to wear number two because, of course, in Seattle, three was what Russell Wilson wore. And even though Wilson is going to wear Drew Locke's old number three in Denver, wearing number three in Seattle would like, kind of be like going to Wayne Manor and trying on the bat suit. As long as football goes on, Russell Wilson will be very special to this place, very special to Seattle. And uh, it's a sign of respect for him from me. But also at the same time, I want to write my own story here. You know, I want to see what two does for us. You know, I want two to remember it as Drew Locke, not three was Russell and Drew. I want two to be Drew, and um, that's just kind of been my mindset on it. 
Well, Drew and two does rhyme, so that <laughs> makes perfect sense, right? There is that. All right, thanks, Squire. All right. Up next, the end of an era in Terrace. Big Bob says bye-bye. It's the end of an era in Terrace. A sporting goods store is closing after 50 years in business, but that is only part of the story. If you're from Terrace or you've ever been there, you likely remember Bob Park's iconic ads. Jade Rant caught up with the community character on This Is BC. What is this for? Hi, I'm a big Bob Bob. They are clearly from a much different era of marketing. Oh, cool. But still, Bob Park's ads have left a lasting impression on many generations in Terrace. All these ads are so bad that they're good. Big Bob knows basketball. I, I still laugh at them and I still go, you were quite crazy. Because I, I, I would do anything. Hi, Barnacle Bob here. From characters Barnacle Bob to Bob and Doug. I am Doug and this is my brother Bob. The owner of All Season Source for Sports became a bit of a celebrity in town. Beauty, eh? For weeks, I walked down the street and passed some kids and you'd hear, Beauty, eh? Big Bob. Many people still know the jingle off by heart. All Season Sports. All those commercials, Big Bob was having fun doing those. Big Bob, who stands four foot eight and a half, has shown huge heart for Terra Sports, sponsoring local teams all year round. He has given so much to this community that has gone unrecognized. There you go. It's the Thank final week before the doors close for good. The changing face of retail has taken its toll. He hasn't found a buyer who will keep the store open. So it's time to move on after 50 years. But Bob Park is leaving an incredible legacy. Some autograph seekers are still coming around. In fact, I signed one the other day. A guy brought in a hat from the 1980s. Bob estimates he's employed over 250 terrorist kids over the years. So many of them have reached out to him now as adults after he posted his retirement message. It's a bittersweet moment. I have loved what I've done. The response has been overwhelming. So anyways, you know, that's the kind of way the community has touched me. An emotional moment for the man who's always tried to make people laugh through his ads. You know, put a little smile on your face. The world's too serious today. I hope that's part of the legacy I've left is my, my humor. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Those ads could have gone on satellite. They could have, yes. <laughs> All right, quick word on the weather before we go, Christy. Sure, so mostly dry overnight tonight, a little bit of drizzle, but tomorrow morning's going to be a soaker. Later in the day, it should start to ease up, especially towards the dinnertime hour, maybe some breaks of blue sky. Stay dry, everyone. Have a good night.